Ciarán Garhi, and you're listening to The Laughs of Your Life, the podcast where I talk to influential people about laughter. From their first memories of laughter, to feeling laughed at, to a time where they had the last laugh. So me and Shane left an answering message on Jerry's phone, and Shane was like, no, he's a nice kid. He's a good kid. He's let, let him back in the pub. <laughs> And uh, sure enough, Jerry sent this message back on. Ah, listen, Shane, anytime, anytime. Listen, it was just a misunderstanding. Listen, he's welcome anytime he wants. He can come back. I was like, yeah. Oh, my gosh. So, yeah, Shane McGowan got me unbarred from a pub. Actor and now writer Robert Sheehan is my guest this week. He talks to me about being periodically annoying in school, having tea in a van with Niji and Fran, and how Shane McGowan got him out of a pickle. Robert's new book, Disappearing Act, is available now. This season of the Last of Your Life podcast is brought to you by TK Maxx. Get that winning feeling in store when you nab ridiculously good quality Christmas gifts for less at TK Maxx. And now for my chat with Robert Sheehan. I hope you enjoy. Robert Sheehan. Hello. You're extremely welcome to the Last of Your Life podcast. Thank you. It's lovely to be here. I had a sneaky feeling that you wouldn't read the questions. <laughs> I you know, cast my eye vaguely over the, the thing, you know. Kind of enough to sort of get a handle on, on the podcast, your podcast angle. The concept, yeah. But I'm, a, I'm an enemy of preparation. Yeah, you, you and Blind Boy are the only guests I would let away with that because you're, you're kind of fluid thinkers and talkers. Yeah, we're very fluid Yes, indeed. But if that's the kind of person you are, how do you manage with line learning and things? You just have to do it. Um, well, I suppose practice over the years has meant that if you're doing a sort of a straightforward back and forth kind of a chat scene and you don't have big, big chunks to say, you're all right. Like you go in one ear, out the other. You know yeah, what I mean? yeah, yeah. And then <laughs> if you've got a, ch- a, ch- a chunk on a script page is quite scary, though. Like if you've got like six lines together, <laughs> like, oh, I've got to proper learn this now. Yeah, yeah, to sit down. But, um, uh, well, you know, there's a happy medium, I suppose. There's a happy medium of getting too entrenched. I, I and a, probably others, other actors can get very wedded to things before they happen, you know, yeah. in terms of a scene, which is, which is kind, of, kind of crap because, you know, we all have, I think we all kind of fantasise into the future about the way things should be, no matter what they are. And with a scene, it's no different. And you, I don't, you don't want to do that. You no. want to kind of maintain the sponta- spontaneity and permissiveness of the moment as much as possible, you know. I, I can't believe I just did that really annoying thing of ac- asking an actor, how do you remember all those lines? <laughs> That's how you kicked off this interview, dear. <laughs> I can't believe I did that. You're going to have to live with it or cut it out now. <laughs> No, it's, I'll keep it in. I'll keep it in. It was good, though. It was a nice kind of a version of that question. Yeah. Um, I'm going to start with my laughter questions. Are you ready? Yeah. Robert Sheehan, your first memory of laughter. I really loved... Do you know what's one of my earliest memories? Laughs, actually, right? And it might not necessarily been a fully honest laugh, right? But I went to the cinema to see Space Jam. Oh. And it was the first ever... My first ever cinema outing. was seeing Space Jam. And I, I remember, like, we were laughing a lot at the movie. It was really fun. But I remember the end bit where Michael Jordan is, like, flying through the air, doing this big, massive slam dunk to win the match or whatever. And we were all, like, mad, hopped up on salt and sugar. And, like, going, 
in the cinema. I remember that. And kind of, I remember la- laughing laboured. Like we were, I was there with my friends and we were all kind of trying to out laugh each other. Trying to be cool. Yeah, yeah. Going, I'm having a way better time than you're having <laughs> <laughs> at the cinema. You were the, or are, the youngest of three? Yes. Yeah. So am I. Oh, where are you from? Oh, from Dublin. Yeah. Sort of via Clare. Yeah. Yeah. How was that? Yeah, it was grand. I mean, I think I got mollycoddled more than the other two. I think they were they were sort of more uptight in their parenting policies to start off with. They're like, you know, as is often the way. And by the time they got to me, they're like, ah, yeah, go on, just just go feck off. And also sort of, uh, I think uh, my mom babied me quite a bit when I was young, yeah. which has probably, it's probably stood to my benefit <laughs> later <laughs> on in life, feeling so kind of loved and uh, probably was the fuel of self-belief early on, possibly. I love that. And ego. (laughs) (laughs) Enough ego to be a young actor, you know. It does take that. It does, especially in rejection. You know, you're like, yeah, you don't want me? Your project's wrong. (laughs) Yes! See you later. I used to actually think that when I was a kid. Would that still be your your approach? No. No? No. No. Okay. No, no. When did that change? Um, Probably my 20s, you know. How? Why? Um, you know, just just the, as you age, the suggestion of mortality, <laughs> <laughs> just the reality that you're going to die someday starts to sort of dawn. And, you know, I think I think I was probably a very intellectually curious person throughout my life. And that, I think, dissipates the ego just by definition. Yeah, you know? that you you just sort of start to understand your place in the world a lot more, you know. That ultimately you kind of mean nothing. You mean absolutely nothing. Exactly. Yeah. It's great, actually. <laughs> That's why I wrote a book. So. <laughs> <laughs> Just to have a sort of an ego legacy somewhere. There. Instead of like a gravestone, <laughs> just have a book. A, gra- a, a gravestone has taken up too much space on the land, which is desperately needed, you know. So just write a book. It's very small. Exactly. It's mobile. Yeah, it's your you little obituary. Get, yeah, exactly. It's basically... <laughs> Basically, a, pr- a really a long-winded obituary. My book got it printed. I love that. A bound aren't, aren't all books though? Discuss. Yeah, probably. Okay, Robert Sheen. Yeah. A time where you felt laughed at. Do you know what? There was this one time in my primary school. I was probably about eleven, and uh, it was Mrs. O'Sullivan's class, and there was a lad called Paul Huben. And he was saying something. He was like, it might have been Paul Hoover, I might have been mixing up memories, but he was telling some sort of story and he stated some sort of fact. It was Mr. Brosnan, not Mrs. O'Sullivan, right? Right. And uh, <laughs> I corrected him across the class, right? Like a cocksure little twat. Right. I was like, well, actually, Paul, that's not true. And then Mr. Brosnan corrected me and said, well, actually, Rob... That is true, that Paul said. He said, and the entire class of boys turned around and went, ha, 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 <laughs> Really scornfully. It was like, 
That was really traumatic. It was really painful. Yeah, it was the painful. The way you remember those ones, they, they yeah. don't leave you. They don't, you know, the old survival brain hangs on to the traumas, doesn't it? What were you like in school in general? I even I, I feel like you might have been a bit annoying. <laughs> <laughs> you mean like the present day? No! I just, I imagine you as your Misfits character or oh, something. Yeah. Nah, you know, I wasn't, I, I wasn't that sort of loud in real life. Misfits guy was based on some people I went to school with. Okay. Definitely. Oh, really? And I think young me kind of looked up to them and their loudness. Right. You know, and their cocksureness and everything else. I don't know. It's, I don't know. I don't really have a, a clear sense of myself as a kid in school and so Quite social, do you know what I mean? I was very extracurricular. I was doing running and Gaelic football and soccer and stuff. So I was obviously quite a social creature. But, uh, you know, a bit of crack, you know. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not sure. Not really. annoying. Yeah. Well, no, definitely periodically annoying. Definitely. <laughs> you know. Definitely had a lot. I think I had a big opinion of myself. Okay, you know. At what point did you know you wanted to act? Really young, like when I was a kid. I remember saying to my mother, "I want to be in ads, mammy." You know, there's loads of ads on Irish television. (laughs) Yeah. And I was like, I want to be in an ad. How can I be in an ad? And she was like, Oh well, we'll you know we'll enrol you in something. You know, figure it out. So it was it was early on. Then I did a play when I was 12 in national school called Oliver with a twist. <laughs> was it? Yeah. Actually. Yeah. And I got ke- it was the it was the sort of brainchild of the <laughs> principal Desmond Sutton, who's a legend of a dude. And uh, Des Sutton cast me in the title role. There was an audition process and everything. So we came in, we had to read excerpts out of the English textbook. Uh, or probably whatever we wanted. And yeah. I sort of did some like, oh, but the burr, 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 kind of voice for an audition. <laughs> and he cast me as Oliver. And I was like, whoa, whoa. And there was loads of audience participation in doing the play and getting parents up and making an Egypt out of them on stage and getting laughs. And I was like, this is the best high I've ever experienced. And so that was, yeah, that was defining, I'd say. Sometimes it just takes one legend of a teacher like that. Yeah, you know, and we had a few of them, luckily, in the national school. Des was the principal. And, uh, yeah, they were very encouraging of creativity. And, you know, if they sort of saw it in you, they'd be like... Nurture it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Luckily. Okay, Rob, a time where, if you didn't laugh, you'd cry. (sighs) I'm thinking of all school things now, but I was 15 and a half... And we went to Slovenia on a school trip to go skiing, right? Yeah. And it was like half two, three o'clock in the morning. And there'd been loads of admin mix-ups with getting us from the airport in Italy to Slovenia. And we were like all wrecked. And then we finally got on this big 52-seater bus. And it was freezing cold. It must have been like January, February. And just and like we were going through the Alps. And just about, just before we went through this mountain tunnel, the back wheel of the bus, which I was sitting over, went bang! Right? In the middle of fucking nowhere, right? And we were all wrecked like that. <laughs> like, <laughs> And so we all sort of file off the bus and we were whining and moaning. Jesus, looking back, God, I feel for the, uh, p- the teachers that were in charge of us. <laughs> 
and we all had to just sort of like stand in like minus 10 in the Alps what? like on, on the road like that and we were like <sighs> and so someone had a like a half deflated football or something so we just started like on this mad highway between Italy and Slovenia we just started playing soccer and having a laugh behind the bus as we and we watched this bus driver jack up like a 52 seater bus and change the wheel oh my God, I thought you were I thought like rescuers were going to come he actually had to put a new wheel on yeah he did it Poor himself guy. And uh, we were all just having the crack, freezing our arses off on the side of the road. So that was quite good. <laughs> or uh, when, do you know what? When I did that film Song for a Raggy Boy, yeah, I was 14 years old and we did like a scene. It's about like Catholic abuse in reformatory schools, industrial schools, that type of thing. So we were little boys in this, in this school run by brothers. And there was a scene where we all had to stand in the yard of the uh, of the school in our underpants like like that like <laughs> and we were all fucking freezing yeah. and again it was just like sort of it was that kind of vibe at a funeral do you know what I mean we were like <laughs> we were all like just telling jokes and having a laugh and trying to kind of trying to pick up our spirits you know as best we could I've always wondered about films like that mm. with subject matter like that for actors your age yeah it was intense how does that work because like do they how do they protect you from it while also like you have to know what's going on yeah they kind of do and they don't because well they do they mostly do of course on that film Ashling Walsh was the director and she was incredibly protective over us but you know there were scenes like we did a scene in the handball alley where Ian Glenn has to whip the crap out of this kid and like, like he was going, and he was slobbering and salivating and shaking over this lad, and we were all there, like sort of just supposed to watch, and there was boys bawling, crying, absolutely in floods of tears, had to be taken out, come back in again, Stop. floods of tears, yeah, because you know just, you know the the fiction of it just overtook, yeah. you know, because the boys was between eight and fifteen, you know, children like. Oh. So yeah, you know, they really there was a, f- a few instances with some of the scenes they really went for it. I remember once actually it was it's another example of like laughing instead of crying. We were shooting a scene in a little chapel down West Cork and we were all like as kids do, little yeah. boys. And uh we were supposed to be doing this nativity scene where the brothers have taken the boys out of the school to to built this manger and basically be well behaved in front of the local townspeople. Do you know what I mean? More as a kind of a pat in their own back. Yeah. And so we're in this in this church, and Ian Glenn, who was playing the principal brother, he just came up, and it was brilliant. On in fairness to him, but he just came up really low and really quiet, and just went, "Just be fucking quiet, all right? Because this is an important scene." And it, like looking back, it was vaudevillian. You know what I mean? It was an, it, it was sort of an acting thing that he did. Yeah. And it was brief. Like it wasn't as if like he sort of scarred us for life. What about love hate? Any oh, yeah. didn't laugh at cry moments? Again, I th- it was probably due to like, do you know? <laughs> do you know it was a mad moment? There's an actor called um, Gavin who played Luke. Gavin. I know. Yeah, you know who you are, Gav. <laughs> And uh, yeah, (laughs) Gaff. And uh, we had to do a scene where he's down feeding these swans, and then kills them. Yeah, he later on kills these swans, right? (laughs) But uh, so we were down there for about ten, fifteen minutes, and some sort of 
you know, concerned citizen, fuddy-duddy, came down the other side of the canal near Portobello, Dolphin's Barn area. Yeah. And was like... Bang! And ran off and called the ISPCA. Oh, right? And said, there's abuse of swans going on. And it's, it's, it's unacceptable. And uh, so the ISPCA then called the guards. And the guards came down. We were delayed for ages. Again... Freezing our arses off on the side of this canal. We're like, fuck, you know, what's going on here? No one knew what was going on. <laughs> and the guards came down. They were like, oh, we've had some report of animal abuse going on. What's happening here? After a good while, like, and the animal wranglers just showed them their permits like that. And they're like, they, we own these animals and we're licensed. And they went, all right. And they just got in their car and drove <laughs> off. They're like, oh. And then we had to rush the scene like mad to get it, to get it finished before sundown, you know. <laughs> Uh, so there was loads of that. Like, like love hate was very by the seat of our pants a lot. Like running around housing estates and down the canal and fucking <laughs> over bridges. It was, yeah, it was bonkers. But you know, there wasn't that many. Like, oh, I'm, I'm going to cry out of. I, I need to laugh, or I'll cry out of misery. Times in love hate. It was, it was good crack to be honest. You know, it was very kind of. Uh, what's the word for like equanimity equanimous that's not a word but it is now <laughs> because everyone was just getting driven around in this blue van by a fella called Pat <laughs> and everyone was sort of being picked up it's like school you know they yeah. pick up Tom and then they pick up me and they pick up like, <laughs> like Killian and you know and then we just come in for the day and sit and drink cups of tea until we were ready and it was lovely it was really, do you know what was a really intense moment it was our first scene and because, like, I was cast off the back of this thing called the Red Riding Trilogy on Channel 4 and Stuart Carolyn and David Caffrey had seen that and they were like, oh, yeah, he'd be good for Darren, right? So Ruth Bradley was playing my sister and the first scene we had to shoot was where we had to identify the body of our brother. Mm. And so we were in this kind of funeral home or whatever it was. And Ruth and I had barely said hello to each other, right? And then I'm supposed to, she's already there and I'm supposed to walk in and kind of join her and kind of console her. And she just broke fucking down, man. She was convulsing and shaking. I was like, whoa, fuck. <laughs> you know, and I was, uh, you know, I didn't have to act nothing. I was like, and afterwards we were, you know, that sort of residue that you have after like an incredibly adrenalized experience, emotional experience. Yeah. We were both sort of like just sitting on either side of the room, just like, <laughs> kind of just going, oh, fuck. Oh, you know, because she brought, she brought, like, the A-game, really and truly, Ruth, like. And that really set a tone, actually, for the intensity really? of the show, yeah. Because it is that thing when you, you know, the actors get hold of the material and it's day one, day two, day three. They either kind of fully break the ice, break the curse, or the ice is sort of still there and it lingers, yeah, do you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, And that can be the undoing of a show. Yeah, you do, it's literally hit the ground running. Yeah, yeah, emotionally. Emotionally, physically, mentally. Yeah, yeah. Okay, Rob, uh, you're no laughing matter moment in life. Time where there was no room for laughter. Oh, no laugh. Jesus Christ, <laughs> too many of them to, to remember. Go on. Uh, no laughing matter in life. Do you know what? On the, the subject of acting and all that business, there was a time I was about 20, 27 and I was ready to quit, man. Like 100%. I was... Sounds quite bougie to say, but I was in the French Alps. In <laughs> I said, fuck this. This is the life for me. Oh, how t- this is so gauche. 
But we was, I was in a, and there was just, there'd been a string of rejection because I was trying to get stuff in America and I was this American agent um, and it was just like another phone call. It was like, oh. and it just, it was just that last bit of wind taken out of the sails. And I thought, you know, I don't know if I can continue doing this, to be honest. It was, it was just, and then, you know what happened? I did, it sounds like it's a lie because my dad had a lot to do with the book, but I talked to my dad and I was like, I think, you know, I think I'm maybe just going to find something else, you know, do something else because, you know, I was getting stuff, but stuff that I didn't want because I was trying to keep, I suppose I was devilishly ambitious younger fella. Yeah. And I was trying to keep the trajectory going up. And one thing I'd noticed about peers of mine was that when they sort of went sideways or they went kind of sideways down, more in need of work than the workers in need of them, that sort of had a lasting effect on their career. Sort of they plateaued at a certain point. It's just the reality of it, you know. So I was like, I was adamant not to do that. I was like, no, no, no. I think I'm great at acting. Yeah. And I think I can do the best work. And so I wanted to put myself only up for what I perceived as the best work. What at the time was American films and American television and stuff. Because that was the highest profile. So that was what I believed at the time was kind of the best work. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was a bunch of stuff that I really got close to getting. But wasn't, you know, profile enough or bank enough or whatever else. And uh, And so there was quite a few years there sort of between... 2015 and 2017 about two years there where I couldn't catch a cold man you know and I was remember sitting in 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 Los Angeles in 2015 which is kind of where writing came from due to just a continual failure of acting where they kind of didn't know what to do with me you know because I was a I was a bit odd for them and also I I was kind of snobby even though (laughs) I hadn't they didn't know who I was (laughs) (laughs) So it was a strange kind of a, a sort of combination. They kind of, even my own agents, they were like, you know, not everybody gets you, Rob. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yeah, well. God. Yeah. So I just kind of sat at home and I got really despondent, I think. And it wore on relationships and friendships there in California. And I drank too much when I was there, you know. And I thought... That was part of the kind of arriving at the place of like, do I want to continue doing this? Just sitting around like going, what am I actually waiting for? Mm. What do I do? What's my thing? Like, so all of that was uh, no laughing matter, certainly. But then, you know, it was a dream because I think all the kind of waiting paid off because there was this very surreal period in late 2016 where I I had a series of Skype calls, right? for jobs first it was um uh, duncan jones and Stuart fennigan with the team behind the movie moon you know and source code and warcraft a lot of kind of big sci-fi movies fantastic work you know auteur type film you know the interesting stuff. and they just had a skype call and i didn't know what their position was on wanting me or not wanting me wanting me to read or whatever and they just offered me a role in in their new movie and I thought amazing and then I had another Skype call with Ben Elton who'd be most famous 
as a stand-up comedian in the 80s and has written a ton of novels and wrote on The Young Ones and Blackadder and Mr. Bean and, you know, fantastic sort of... Uh, uh, this kind of renaissance British comedy guys from the 80s along with Richard Curtis and Kenneth Branagh and Peter Richardson and all these mm -hmm. and uh, he cast me for his film Three Summers again he cast another fella another Irish fella Alan Leach having spoken to me on Skype right Stop. yeah but then he uncast Alan and he cast me because he realised Alan wasn't right for the role and I was more right for the role nice. and then I had another Skype with Philippa Boyens, Fran Walsh and Peter Jackson and Christian Rivers, who were the team behind Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit, right? And they wanted a Skype and they offered me the main part in their new film. And I was like... And I felt like I'd sort of stepped through this kind of unreality doorway because these things happen in incredibly quick succession. And, uh, yeah, thankfully, they'd, they'd all admired different bits of my work over the years and, and were confident enough to just offer me parts. And I was like, fantastic. And then I just, I just sort of bounced, bounced, bounced all around the world, making films and then into Umbrella Academy series. And so it was kind of nonstop after that, kind of the late 2016, early 2017. So I suppose the moral of that story was that my own sense of value paid off in the end. And also ring your dad. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm interested to ring know what... Ring your dad in existential doubt. <laughs> what did he say? He was like, ah, don't be silly, Rob. You're brilliant. No, no, don't, don't, don't be in, in harbouring those thoughts. I was in Battersea Park, I remember, in London. I was kind of walking through the park fast, going, no, 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 no. <laughs> and he was like, nah, listen, just give it a week. Just stop, stop. You're like, okay. Stop being so final, you know. Yeah, okay, and dramatic. And he, he gave me great support, you know, excellent support. They're good for that. They are indeed. Okay, Rob, the person you always laugh with. The person I always laugh with. You know, my brother Brendan is, is someone who pops into my head because, you know, the word always, you know, kind of <laughs> covers lifelong. And, uh, yeah, we always, we 99% we, of the time we meet back in Port Leash, our hometown, and we can always have a bit of crack over just the, the sort of the wonderful absurdity of, of Ireland and Irish people. <laughs> he lives away as well. And, uh, you know, he finds a lot of things funny. He's, he's, uh, he's a big laugher, is Brendan Sheehan. Is it great to go home and just be, just to be Rob in Port Leash? Yeah, yeah. Although the last few weeks have been Every bollocks with a phone, a camera phone's been following me around Have the they? town. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And to them, are you Darren? Yeah, okay, Darren and, right. and Klaus and right. yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Well, yeah. that's good. It's not like you're just Darren. No, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Net Netflix made sure of that. Oh, <laughs> yeah, that's great. The Netflix. They've got serious distribution. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Um, thing uh, going back to Ireland is fabulous. Yeah, and being away is for 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 a long time is kind of. It's it kind of wears on you a little bit because either, you you know, if you kind of emigrate for work, there's a conscious decision that happens or it doesn't happen, which is I'm going to stay here and live here, be it Canada or America, wherever it is, or I'm going back home. And there's always that kind of God, that elastic band bringing me back to Ireland or near enough to Ireland because I just like it here, man. I like, you know, 
because you know I was just in a bookshop there and I was looking at all these Irish books about history the colours of Ireland in history and Fintan O'Toole's got this new book out called We Don't Know Ourselves this history of 1958 and I'm like I have a mad appetite to read this stuff because it's kind of us isn't it do you know what I mean it's 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 reading more about oneself mm. when you read into the into the history of the of the family that you come from like the greater family and so that's not something I want to kind of live away from I think Irish people get such FOMO as well more than any other nationality like <laughs> yeah. I was away no one's as good crack no one that's the truth though it's so just the truth I was away in London literally mm. only London <laughs> the weekend do you remember the Theresa Mannion weather report do you remember that she was like no. don't take risks on treacherous roads did you not see that report? no okay I'm gonna, have to, I'm gonna have to DM you the link yeah. after this yeah. okay so it was during a storm in Ireland right. she was doing a report from Salt Hill in Galway <laughs> and it was absolutely lashing I don't think I have to explain this it was yeah. absolutely lashing and she was being blown and she was like don't take and like the RT camera was like <laughs> spinning and she was like wearing a hat she's like don't, um, don't get in the sea blah blah so that don't happened don't get in the sea because <laughs> no, there was people swimming in Salt Hill during yeah, the storm yeah of course yeah, yeah so I was in London the weekend and I was absolutely raging to be I was like I want to be at home I want to I want to see every meme mm. I want to talk yeah. to everyone about this trees yeah. Emmanuel yeah. you just get like anything that happens yeah you want to be you, you want to be in the mix of it like yeah yeah, yeah. I'll <laughs> never forgive myself for being away for that weekend I'll send it to you afterwards do yeah but okay. that's the thing and there's always a wealth of them things <laughs> going yeah. on do you know what I mean it's never just you, okay you've seen the lad that slipped on the ice yeah, okay, yeah, well, yeah. okay we're fine yeah. no it's fine we, have, we haven't lost man, you completely the news reporter trying to keep straight fit. do you were they even aware of it they the happened Angus. behind him so oh what the, was that the roads and the sidewalks are very icy very slippery <laughs> sorry did you just say sidewalk how dare you <laughs> see this is the this is the provincial side of Ireland <laughs> There was sort of fierce loyalty to <laughs> words. The footpath. Okay. A time where you had the last laugh, Robert Jean. Oh, do you know what? I got barred out of this pub, right, a few years ago, right, in, in North London. <laughs> Unjustified, right? Right. The Boogaloo, which is very synonymous with Irish community over in, uh, over in London. You were, were you at the Boogaloo in Highgate. It's on the edge. Yeah, I heard a... I heard a mm, That's of, Shane there, yeah. Of He's recognition. Like, oh, it's Patty. Oh, cool guys. Yeah. They brilliant, know stuff. brilliant pub. <laughs> cool guys. Nor- in, in North London. Loads of Irish sessions going on in there. And myself and Greg were involved in a lock-in one night there. And we were sat talking to the barmaid. And I had about a third of a pint left. And it was, kind of, it was like three o'clock in the morning. They were kind of fixing to kick us out. And she nicked my pint like that. She was like... I was like, come on, give that back. And just as we started arguing over the pint, the owner walked past. And because it was with the barmaid, he went, and he was not in a good mood, frankly. He went, right, you, out. Right? I was like, what? What are you talking about? What are you talking about? Give it. And, uh, and then <laughs> there was some, some name calling went on. I put my hands up, right? I was a bit drunk. And I was like, yeah. Butterbean, yeah, don't want to be in your shit pub anyway, <laughs> right? I didn't behave myself very well. And then um, sh- I met Shane McGowan it, like a year and a half sorry, later or whatever, what? right? Oh, sorry, I thought you meant like in the same night. No, 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 this was like ages later. And we got talking about, we were doing this gig in Dublin Castle about like history, historical speeches and songs and all that. 
and uh, I was saying about how I, how I got kicked out by the owner. I didn't know the owner at the time. I was like, I don't know who this fella is, but he kicked me out of the bar anyway. And Shane was like, ah, we can, we can sort that out. We can rectify that. So me and Shane left an answering me- message on Jerry's phone. And Shane was like, no, he's a nice kid. He's a good kid. He's let, let him back in the pub. <laughs> And uh, sure enough, Jerry sent this message back on. Ah, listen, Shane, anytime, anytime. Listen, it was just a misunderstanding. Listen, he's welcome anytime he wants. He can come back. I was like, yeah. Oh, my gosh. So, yeah, Shane McGowan got me unbarred from a pub. That is amazing. <laughs> That's the best yeah. celebrity story I've ever heard. <laughs> he's a legend, Shane McGowan. He's a legend of a man. Yeah. Oh, I love it. Okay, Rob, if laughter wasn't the best medicine, what would be? Ooh. Weed. <laughs> Whoops! Did I say that? Do you know what the thing is? I've I've been banished to the likes of Canada making television. You know where weed is delicious and abundant. I've had to really, yeah, I've had to curb my my weed enjoyment over the past while of my life because I'm so fucking busy. I've got to do shit. But yeah, yeah, yeah. The the cannabis plant, ladies and gentlemen, it's a beautiful medicine. It's a it's a beautiful mode of... Ex- I, I'm going to probably read this now in a tabloid <laughs> next week. Do you know what? It agrees with some and not okay. with others. And... Uh, oh. And what? It, you just chill. Yeah, chill. It's quite creative too. Oh, you know? well, well, would you say much of it now? Is, went into the, went <laughs> into the book. the book? <laughs> a little bit. Literally 100%. Well, no, not 100%. I tried to keep... I tried to like not do that. Okay, okay. You know, but like, I try to keep it as a reward. Do you know what I mean? Okay. But then there's kind of phases you go through with weed as well, where you kind of have to be sparing with it in order to enjoy it, you know, because right. over usage of anything. Exactly. Yeah, it's just, it just starts to make you feel crap after a while. Yeah. But yeah, weed's fantastic. Okay. Yeah. Do you know what? Legalize weed in Ireland because it's being controlled by organized crime. And what would be better to legalize it and regulate it and grow it correctly, hydroponically and all the rest, or leave it in the hands of criminals who put loads of crap in it and melts your brain? You know, legalize weed. I'm all for that. Are you ready for your quick fire round? Uh, wait a minute, I'm just going to go smoke a joint. <laughs> Do you know, I'm an incredibly light touch, though. If I smoked a joint, I'd be in hospital. You know, I think that's why I like weed. You know what I mean? I just have to smoke like a toke or two and be like. <laughs> fuck everyone who knows me, man. Oh my god. Okay, quick fire round. Go for it. The actor. The actor. You always laugh at. Ooh, Jim Carrey. Why not? Childhood, childhood. Fantastic. Yeah. The actress you always laugh at. Ooh, Phoebe Waller Bridge. Oh. Literally made made my ribs pop out of my torso flea bag man it's absolutely wicked the comedian you always have it Frankie Boyle Frankie Boyle yeah I know you got you really go to this quick round usually people are like uh, they say someone and they're like because I just think <laughs> you're like oh my god stop I don't want to know yeah it's quick fire <laughs> the movie that makes you laugh out loud always the big Lebowski it's always the go to you know it's don't explain it yeah <laughs> And finally, Robert Sheehan, your best or worst joke? Uh, why did the plane crash? Because the pilot was a loaf of bread. Oh my God! I love that joke! Yeah, yeah me too. <laughs> I've heard that one. <laughs>
before. Yeah. Great joke. <laughs> you can take that now. Take take it on the road. Robert Jean, tell me about the book before we go. Yeah, well, it's 16 short stories, but they're more characters. Like I wanted, I said to the publishers, like, I want to build them as characters, not stories, because they're more activity than they are plot, as in mental activity than a- a- any anything actually externally happening. Or they, at least there's a lot of that. I think that's a defining part of the book. Mm-hmm. Um so, yeah, you know, a lot of it came out of uh, trying to remain creatively active in the kind of fallow periods of acting. Also, acting research, you know, I find it a much more characterful experience if you pepper your character that you're playing with memories, anecdotes, feelings about characters that aren't there. Essentially, like Daniel Day-Lewis, I heard him say a thing on one of his one of his few and reluctant interviews that he gave, he was like, I'm playing a person, you know, a person who has had a life since they're born, you know, and if you take that fully seriously, that takes time. It just takes time to to, to fully kind of uh, uh, give that 360 sense. And, you know, it is like, you know, with, uh, in some films, like with the odd prosthetic and that like six months to a year of just building a human being from the ground up, that is incredibly enriching and bewitching to watch in a film and I was like I'm going to do that I'm going to do this so I did it a lot for Klaus and stuff and that worked you know it worked quite well and all of that stuff really unconsciously informed so I sort of uh, through that practice sort of followed voices you know the many voices <laughs> clacking around inside my head just to sort of see what they wanted to kind of say see what if it was contentious or you know, strange or dramatic. And, and in that way, a lot of the stories came flying out, you know, came hurtling out. And uh, so, yeah, it was to sort of supplement acting creativity at first, but then it came, it became its own creativity, you know, all in itself. Robert Sheehan, it has been an absolute pleasure to chat to you. And you, my love. Thank you so much for sharing the last of your life. Thanks for having me on. Thank you for listening to this bonus episode of the Laughs of Your Life podcast with Robert Sheehan. I hope you enjoyed it. I'll be back next season with some more great guests. So don't forget to like and subscribe before then. This podcast is brought to you by TK Maxx. Nothing beats that feeling when you nab ridiculously good quality for less at TK Maxx. Guest booker this season is Olive Esler. And this podcast is recorded with Collaborative Studios. Collaborative Studios.